Welcome back, podcast listeners. Before we get started, I'd like to plug the new Instagram page we have. It's at F underscore it podcast. Go ahead and follow me. I think you'll like it. Yes, that includes you, random guy in Bohemia, and random guy in the Bronx. I see you. I look at my analytics. Today we have a special guest. It is my good friend and childhood buddy, Brooks Tran. Now I'm going to set a very high level here by just reading off a little bit of something I found on the internet that anybody can go on Google and find. A native of the Pacific Northwest, (laughs) pianist Brooks Tran began the piano at the age of seven. He received his Bachelor of Music degree in piano performance at the University of Washington under the tutelage of Patricia Michaelian. Mm-hmm. I might picture that. Yeah. Tran has performed throughout the West Coast, including appearances at Meany Hall and Benaroya Hall in Seattle and the Carmel Music Society in California, as well as on air on 98.1 King FM. And it goes on for a lot more words, but... Um, Tran is also the co-founder and associate director of Parnassus Project, a chamber ensemble and series presenting a new dynamic approach to the classical concert experience. Many more. And I think this is a little bit older because it said at the time, Tran is currently pursuing his doctoral of musical arts at UW. But I think you have earned that now. Brooks Tran, everyone. (laughs) Hey, everybody. (laughs) <laughs> did i hype you up too much you just google search that or something bingo the world is a little bit dangerous on google so i like to do a deep dive onto every podcast guest <laughs> uh, so uh introduce yourself brooks if i haven't already well my name is brooks i am living up here in seattle in pacific northwest um you're right, Daniel. I do have my doctorate in piano performance right now. Um, can't say I'm putting it to great use right now. Uh, I am still teaching pretty much full time, um, and that's been fun. Um, other than that, just playing some gigs here and there, um, and not so much right now in quarantine, obviously. But lucky to still be able to teach online. Um, and I guess lately my lately my foray has been <laughs> um, running church services for our church because we've you know had to make the transition onto to online services. So that's that's the latest scoop right now. Nice. You're learning the uh, virtual world pretty quick, huh? Having to, yeah. Luckily, we've well, got a good team here. Good. Good. Yeah. Um. Why don't you let people know, how do we know each other? How long have we known each other? I was thinking about this as I was driving home earlier. We know, I, I know that I've known you since I was in kindergarten. So that would be 28 years now, about. 
You're you're my oldest friend, Daniel. Because huh. we knew each other from um, children's church at church. Um, and yeah, I, 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 my family moved back to Seattle just towards the end of preschool, getting into kindergarten. And then we started going to the same church. And so that's where we know each other from. Okay. Yeah. You've got a lot of stories, which we'll probably get to later. (laughs) (laughs) So you're, um, I guess focusing on right now, how's the teaching been adapting to, you know, the whole virtual world? Do you find it a whole lot different or not too much different? It's, it's definitely different. Um, obviously with piano hands-on, um, um, teaching is always preferable. Like, I mean, imagine trying to explain brand new musical concepts to like a six-year-old over FaceTime or something. Like, I don't think my patience has ever been pushed so far. But at the same time, it's nice not having to commute. I, I, I spend, yeah, I went through this phase, you know, where we would, you know, just relish being able to work in pajamas. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I'd feel more productive if I actually dressed up. And so I went through a week where I actually dressed for work. But now that we're in, like, gosh, I don't know, almost four months of quarantine, I've regressed back to teaching in my pajamas. Really? I figured you could at least meet in the middle, you know, put on, like, shorts on the bottom and dress shirt on top. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my students are the same way though. Like I'll meet them and they'll be like, "Hey, check out my pajamas today," and they'll be like, "Pokemon onesie or something." Nice. Yeah. It's it's like a new connection with students because they feel like they can be more themselves and like I think one of the most rewarding aspects of this whole quarantine teaching is just to see how much kids, <laughs> how much my students just like hanging out with me, like. I've got a lot. Of, I've got some students who are like really good and they're really into it. I have other students who aren't so great, but they just like being able to, you know, have contact with some aspect of their former life with mm. live education. And so that's been right. really nice. Do you think it'll be a while until you have like in-person teaching, or do you think you'll try and keep the ball rolling on this virtual stuff? Tough to say. I it's yeah it is tough to say. Um, I'm worried that I'm going to get too used to this, actually, because <laughs> ever since I started teaching from home, now I can like cook, now I can cook more. Amanda and I eat dinner at a reasonable hour now because I used to just get home at nine o'clock every night. Yeah, yeah, I could see it being both sides of that. I could see, you know, the parents of the students being like well no why don't you just come to me why do I have to come to you but yeah I I could see it depending okay well other than teaching tell me a little bit more about your professional life of you know playing piano what were you pursuing or working on prior to all of this coronavirus stuff performances you know things like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well I spent 12 years of my life at UW at the University of Washington pursuing music. Um, I did my undergrad, I got my master's and eventually got my doctorate there. Um, and all that thinking that, you know, I would pursue a long-term career in music. That's what I thought I was going to do at the time. Lately, um, 
plans have sort of changed. Um, I got more and more involved with ministry at my church. Um, and so my recent life development, I just applied um, for a master's um, in Christian studies. So I'm going to I'm going to start Bible college this fall um, and just to see where that takes me. Um, oh. Yeah. So, We're at Fuller? No, uh, a school in Minneapolis actually called um, Crown College. Um, and so this whole online church thing has been an interesting trip because one week we were just, you know, figuring out what to do. And then the next week I found myself writing sermons. I've never written a sermon before. I think my, my pastor just gave me like a stack of pastoring books from the seventies. And he's like, here's three days. Haven't, oh gosh. honestly haven't read one of them yet. <laughs> um, but it's been a real trip and a good experience all at the same time. Got it. So it sounds like you're what we'll call it the the pianist, the professional pianist is on a bit of a hiatus. For, for now, anyway. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, trying to see where we should shift this, but I do like this question. What is the most annoying thing you get asked as a pianist? Can you play this? Play something. Oh my gosh, that's probably the worst. Yeah. When you're at a party yeah. or a function and they're like, hey, play something. Or like, uh, gosh, do you do you know, you know, they'll name some show tune or something. But probably the most, I mean, yeah, I think the most annoying thing is just when people ask you to play something. And yeah, yeah it's totally. like, I, I can yeah, see that. Monkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dance monkey. Come on, do it. Do it. Exactly. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, no, I, I'm i starting to get a little bit more cognizant of just that aspect in general as I'm a little older and around other, we'll call it working professionals, is to to not bring their work life into non-work matters. Be, because, yeah, just because everybody approaches it differently, right? So, for example, I still do this, but I've gotten more cognizant of not asking Leanne to address every little you know, aching joint or ailment that I've got uh, or other friends, certain questions. Like I, I, for example, don't like when people ask me like I stuff like randomly, you know, it's just, it's just weird. So I, I get that for sure. <laughs> I think the only time I asked you about I stuff was when I had like floaters or something. Right. Okay. <laughs> which, which I think is fine. Like, but it's just kind of, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like more you, than my career. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think you're more than qualified to play the sound of music or whatever, but it's just like, ah, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and depending on the setting, I, I think you're more or less willing, but yeah. Okay. What else do you do outside of music then, since we'll shift off of that? Ooh, let's see. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think we grew up the same way. I'm always a child at heart and I always so I always like to play right now let's see Amanda and I we do a lot of rock climbing or we did do a lot of rock climbing before all the gyms closed obviously um lately got back into skateboarding and I gotta say that's been great um been able to meet new friends through it um which is which is fun you know when you're at the skate park 
and you're surrounded by teenagers and there's that one guy that's you know over 30 and you're like you're like, <laughs> gonna make friends with that guy so it's it's been a ton of fun Cool. I, I think this is my first midlife. I'll call it my quarter life crisis. Yeah, at least you're active, so. Yeah. Um, cool. It sounds like you're definitely busy and have your hand full with hobbies or other um, job related endeavors. <laughs> yeah. Let's shift over to a little bit of story time or fireside chat since, like you say, I am your oldest friend, not in years, but in cumulative time of knowing each other. Um, I think a lot of these stories probably have to do with me getting in trouble or you getting in trouble, which (laughs) (laughs) is a pretty big theme. Hopefully we've outgrown that. But do you have any stories that come to mind that you think people would want to hear where either one or both of us are just failed so, miserably there are just so many memorable you know points throughout our life like as i was, as I was saying earlier as i was driving home i think my earliest the earliest story that i had in my mind was just stealing from the church <laughs> <laughs> that's that because that just because that's the earliest So people need to not take this out of context because Brooks is pursuing, uh, you know, church-related studies. (laughs) Yeah, but let this be a testament to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, But yeah, my my earliest memory of us was stealing, because you know how when we used to have those memory verse contests? Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, they'd try to get you to memorize like a fatty chunk of scripture um, in hopes of like getting first place at the Christmas time contest or whatever it was, um, and then there would be prizes afterwards, right? And I don't remember who, if it was you or me. Um, people always pegged you for the instigator. Um, I don't deny that. <laughs> but anyway, you found like the storage room where they kept all the prizes, and at that time. <laughs> at that time it was like um batman returns toys you know and so the toys were like these little penguins that like shot missiles and there was just like stacks and stacks and stacks of them and so we just took a bunch and that's why we always had those toys laying around your house or my house oh man yeah i remember i completely forgot about that to yeah. be fair I think we were just young and just like hoodlums at heart. <laughs> you just want toys. Yeah, we just wanted toys. I didn't know that they were for, um, you know, prizes or whatnot. We were just, you know, we we're kids. We're like, oh, sweet, free toys. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as I'm considering all the stories, there's like a common thread of either theft or making profits because theft you know that first incident is an is, was an instance of theft and then fast forward to when we were middle school snowboarding i think you know what i'm thinking oh, of right now yeah yeah the energy drinks uh-huh yeah that was i don't know i don't know why we did that <laughs> i know that's crazy right it was like we were possessed or something but it was really, I, I tell this story all the time because it's so ridiculous. 
like do you remember that one? Oh yeah yeah. It's pretty much you took that exact same story of stealing the penguin toys and then you added like 10 or 15 years of life to it and then you pressed play. It's <laughs> like the, the exact same thing. Yeah. No better. We are we were no better. But I want to tell that story cuz that was a great story. It's go so for ridiculous. It. Like because you know being Asian when you go we would you go snowboarding all the time. Um, and you guys, you and David being the pals that you were, you guys always had season passes and I would not always have season passes. And so the deal was back then, you know, before they recorded everything electronically is like, if you forget your season pass that day, they give you a spare. And so you'd always just take turns walking up to the counter and be like, I got my pass. And you'd get the spare pass and give it to me. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, being cheap asian people that we were we never we also never bought food from the lodge because it's expensive and so we we always like brought our sandwiches or whatever food in in our brown bags and (laughs) thinking back this was like this is like segregation because if you had a brown bag lunch depending on where you were at if you had a brown bag lunch you had to sit in the brown bag lunch level so that's why (laughs) Now I'm thinking back, and this is kind of ridiculous, because that's why we were in the basement of the lodge, or the lower floor, because we brought our own food. And we were eating our lunch there, you know, in the middle of our day of snowboarding. And then we just see, like, where they kept all their drinks, you know, just to be sold upstairs. Um, And we just saw these cases of energy drinks. It wasn't Red Bull. It was some off-brand Red Bull. Uh, But energy drinks are expensive, so we just saw, like, stacks and stacks of them. And I don't know what we were thinking, but either you or David were like, if they're here, they must be free. I mean, who would just leave them out? <laughs> and so we took one and we like, we opened it up and just started drinking it. And we were like, oh, these, these are pretty good. Maybe this is like a promo or something. So we took more. And uh, your friend, maybe your friend, I think his name was Nathan or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Your think, friend, yeah, Nathan, you're right. And he was just like, Okay. <laughs> And so it got to a point, again, I don't know what the thought process was exactly, but it got to a point where we were just like stuffing it in our jackets. Because back then we just had these oversized jackets, we stuffed them in. And this was only halfway through our day of snowboarding. So we stuffed them in our jackets and we just walked out the door with them. And then here's the best part. We dug a hole in the snow and we buried them in the snow. Like just case, like probably a couple cases of this stuff. Because uh, we each had jackets full. We buried it in the snow. And we, we just continued snowboarding until the evening. We dug it all up. And then packed back in our jackets and carried it to the car. No no questions were ever asked. And that was that. And then we each, you know, brought our own share of the spoils home. And I remember it was just sitting in our fridge at home for the longest time. And my dad was like, where are these accounts <laughs> They're, they're, I think they're, I think they were a free promo and that's call me. <laughs> and every time I looked at it, I just felt so guilty. I was, I was almost like, oh, I need to return these. But at the time, we didn't drive, so it's not like I was going to ask my dad to be like, hey, can you drive me back to Snoqualmie so I can return all these stolen beverages? But yeah, that was, that was something, because we each probably had like a hundred dollars worth of energy. Drink. Yeah, probably. We stuffed like our pants and our jackets full and then we <laughs> stashed them all in the snow and then picked them back up and then took them home. 
Yeah. I don't know what the impetus for that was either, other than I think it was something that it's just like, I don't know, like a, like a weird opportunity presented itself. That I think that's the the common thread between all our stories now is finding opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. You know we would try to. Make, I mean. You remember when we tried to make money at church too? Oh, was that when we tried to do our, like, delivery service of, like, drinks or something well, to it, cars that were leaving? It, yeah, so it, it would evolve, too, because back at the old church, there was always, like, a store of hot cocoa mix, and I'm pretty sure you brought, like, some instant mocha mix, and so we would just, like, get the kitchen supplies, mix it up, and, like, obviously just take cups from the storage and then we'd mix these drinks and then we'd walk out to the parking lot and ask people if they wanted hot chocolate or coffee. And we just sold <laughs> this hot cocoa for like a dollar each. <laughs> oh, man. How did we arrive at that? I don't even know. I don't know. But I mean, that's why I thought you were always going to be a business major or something. <laughs> well, yeah, who knows? Yeah. And you know that evolved because I remember there was this one time after that, where you and David were hanging out at my house back in Redmond, and we experimented with, like, different things to sell or to make and sell. So we would make, like, these little quesadilla pizza things. I don't remember that. You remember that? Yeah, we, we, uh-uh. we, would, <laughs> we would just buy tortillas, and you, I think you brought all this over, like, Mexican cheese and <laughs> ambits, and we would just stick it in the oven and make these little quesadilla pizzas, and, like, we would give some to my parents and be like, what do you think? It was pretty good. Can we sell these? <laughs> that was ridiculous. Yeah, I think most of our stories revolve around like something to do with church, but not directly. It's just because yeah. the other memory that came up to mind is, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one time we smuggled you home in the back of our minivan um, so you could hang out with us and force your parents to come pick you up so that so that way they, they couldn't say no because a common theme would be like, hey, can we go over to your house after church or you could come over to our house? And then, you know, sometimes you're, either of our parents would be like, no, we have to do so-and-so or we have something going on. But that's when we quickly learned the lesson of it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> <laughs> And so we just, we smuggled you home. And I, I don't think my mom knew, right? Like we put you in the car. In the back of the van. Yeah. We put I, you in the car before my parents got in there. And then you just like lied down the entire car ride. And this is from Seattle to Kirkland. Looking <laughs> <laughs> for cell phones too. Yeah. I, I wonder how your parents found out like where yeah. you were. Well, that's what I'm wondering right now. Yeah, I have no idea. But <laughs> Yeah. And then you got picked up later after we played, and then you went home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we forced the hand. All right, so moving on to, I think we have a lot of, like, hoodlum stories in the teen years. Um, One of which I'm going to have you tell just because it's a funny story only after the fact. Uh, It involves golfing. Which golfing story? My gosh. Oh, wait, you have more than one? I'm well, only thinking of one. There's you, well, there's the one, 
the one we're probably uh-huh. thinking. And there's also you getting banned from Willow's Runs. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, the listeners already know that. That was shared on the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't know the main one, so take uh, it away. Well, I got to say, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that this golf course where this story took place no longer exists. So my heart goes out to Wayne, the memory of Wayne Golf Course, which used to be the cheapest place you could play 18 holes in Washington. Um, but I guess this was all part of one summer where we sort of went through this golfing phase, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we went to Wayne, which was a golf course in Bothell, be the cheapest place where you could play 18 holes. Um, and this was probably just one hole in you were in the second hole and it was cheap because you know each hole was so close to each other like they'd run you know parallel and back then we were obviously we were not good at golf and we couldn't hit accurately we probably should have been spending our time on the driving range and not on an actual course (laughs) and so let's see you got up to the tee and you slammed the ball and it just sliced super hard into the hole that was, you know, directly to the right of ours. And out of nowhere, you just hear, ah! So, and this guy was hopping on one leg, and you had driven, you'd driven your ball into this guy's knee. Oh, my goodness. And it was, it was funny and terrible at the same time. Because I can only imagine how much it would hurt to be hit in the knee by a golf ball. And you were, your first thing was like, oh, you know, at least it hit, it hit the ground first, right? It didn't just go right. oh, And it was, the, after that, it was probably the most uncomfortable 18 holes of golf we'd ever played. Because they were constantly behind us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, of course, like, it would, we all sucked. So it took us a long time to get through any hole and so these people that Daniel had hit were like constantly like riding our bumpers the whole time <laughs> but that yeah I don't I want to add a little bit more detail yeah because we must have passed them then because they were ahead of us right because was it we were teeing off and they were one ahead of us and then we caught up to them or were they behind us one behind us oh hole one like runs this way and then Uh the other way except they're parallel to each other right there's like a very thin tree line to separate both holes Mm -hmm. okay all of it it goes straight into the first hole again right yeah yeah so i mean the rough part is that I was teeing off with the driver, so I was just, you know, giving it a whack. <laughs> and then I do remember it seeing it, it hit the ground right before it hit him and then shot right up and nailed him right in the <laughs> knee. And then I see him, like, just drop down. And then I see a golf club just go flying in front as, as he threw it down, letting out a streak. And then I remember after it hit him, I, I went, four! <laughs> so, so at least... Technically, I ca- I could count that I yelled it. Did your part. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so there's that. And adding to it, you know, we won't go too deep into this given the, nat- of, or the nature of current racial tensions. But they would yell at us every time we would, you know, we would serpentine back and forth, back and forth, uh, paralleling courses. And I remember one time 
like, I don't know, past hole five or six so that we pass him again. The guy was just like, stick to ping pong. I was oh, like, my oh, gosh. yeah, I remember that. But obviously, we're not going to do anything at that point. I'm just putting my head down because <laughs> inside I had kind of already gotten my revenge thinking, yeah, well, whatever. You're the one that got hit in the knee. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was terribly scary yet funny after the fact because <laughs> I, I mean like most people couldn't even hit somebody in the knee with a golf ball if they wanted to so it's, yeah that was the story yeah. I don't remember the ping pong comment wow yeah I remember that but I you know I, we just put our heads down I put my head down and just kept moving just because somehow I knew like there's no yeah there's no winning the situation <laughs> Yeah, and we were teenagers at the time, too. Right. Oh, okay. Well, moving on, for the sake of the request of my significant other, do you have a good memory of that story? This is the story that you told at our wedding, which is, I guess, on a videotape somewhere, but I don't remember it, of me locking the keys to the car. At church one time. I don't know how old I was, but if you remember the story, have at it. You must have been, we must have been in like third or fourth grade. Um, because I think at the time, your parents either still had that old caravan and or the old Camry. Yeah. And we were just hanging out after church because our parents were in a meeting or whatever. And... Maybe this was the time when you had your Game Boy, so we would always, you know, go in and out of your car to get the Game Boy. Um, but anyway, you locked the keys in the car, and your dad came out and found out, and he got so mad. And, like, I've always been kind of scared of your dad, just because he, he was, like, always the quiet type. And then he always, like, throw you a curveball with some cr- random factors and crazy story. But so I was always slightly afraid of your dad. So your dad came out and he was like so mad. And so he walks back into church and he comes out with a feather duster. <laughs> and like, this is, man, when kids talk about childhood trauma these days, they have no idea. Because he made you get down on all fours in the middle of the church parking lot. <laughs> and he just started like whipping you in the butt with the, with the feather duster. And I think that was the that was the time that you told me afterwards that your strategy for, you know, enduring these beatings was to like lean your back, your butt backwards a bit. So when the, you know, the lash came down, it would strike you in the bone just above the butt cheek, which would hurt less than the actual butt cheek. (laughs) Apparently that was the story I told at your wedding. And I didn't know your mom was upset about that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I I thought it was funny because it's just like, oh, just another stupid Daniel moment, one of many, but obviously um Asian culture, uh, you know, how you look to others is a big deal. And so <laughs> the, the, I don't think my parents were too happy that in front of everybody they looked a little worse. But I was like on the flip side of that, you know, going with the uh the current culture of being authentic, it's its just kind of like, hey, well, you did it, didn't you? <laughs> what are you trying to hide? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is interesting seeing how a true story plays out, you know, 20 years later. Right. Like, Nothing's changed. 
It happened. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't upset back then. <laughs> but no. Okay, to add to that, I don't... Um, I don't know if I gave away my secrets then, but there were other times when I was getting spanked at home, you know, for various uh, egregious things that I did. And then it, it would be always to the point of, you know, wait till your father gets home or like you know, my mom would spank me now. But in, um, I don't know, in other families, but let's just stick with my house. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to assume, but like in our house, we would always get our spankings with, the feather duster, and if you're not familiar with like Asian households and Asian supermarkets, the feather duster is traditionally it's like a wooden stick, kind of the thickness of a, a pencil, and it's about oh, what is that, like a couple feet long? Yeah, one, one two, like a couple feet long, and then you know your half of it is the raw rod, and then the other half is just all the the feathers, and Obviously, when you dust something, you hold the raw rod end and then you move the feathers over whatever you're using. Well, that was never once used like that in my home. And so how the feather duster (laughs) was used is you hold the feathered end and you leave the raw end as just (laughs) the piece of raw wood and you use that for your spanking. And so that was, you know, what traumatized me as a kid. Like my parents would always threaten, don't, 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 don't let me go get the feather duster. But it was all said in Vietnamese. Joy long guy. Right. And so uh, as the, uh, as the global economy and China's trade developed, the world shifted to, um, more plastic and so the wooden feather dusters were no longer used sometime during like my middle school years the evil uh company switched to using a plastic feather duster so everything was synthetic the feathers were synthetic and the the rod was no longer wood it was plastic however i learned that there wasn't plastic inside what actually supported the shape of the feather duster was in in intertwined metal so kind of like a, a fence you have these two <laughs> pieces of metal and they like braid each other around and that forms a structure and then it's encased in plastic now how i learned that it was encased or metal encased in plastic was that one time my mom hit me so hard that the plastic broke off and then the raw metal was showing <laughs> oh my god <laughs> And so, yeah, they, they upgraded their spanking game to that. But uh, on to the second tip, though. It's like, it's like they updated the design for spanking. Yes, yes. Like the beating stick 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> but the the trick for getting your your butt spanked at home is that, like, my mom would always make me lie down on the couch, face down, prone. And then, you know, as she would not spare the rod, (laughs) (laughs) as she would come down to hit me on the butt, the trick is to make a subtle shift at the 11th hour right before impact. And so instead of having the rod hit you square in your flesh on your on your glutes, you make a, a slight shift, maybe 15 degrees with your pelvis so that it strikes the bone. 
or like the side of your butt. So more more your hip area. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is so that when the welt comes, one, it's either on a, it's a bone bruise or the welt isn't on your sitting area so mm-hmm. that you can still continue to sit at school the next day. tips yeah man like i would hear stories of my non-asian friends being grounded and i would just think wow that must be nice things i'll never understand now i'm gonna add like a bonus kicker for those kids that are still getting your butt kicked what i would sometimes do on top of that is i if it was like a beating that wasn't spontaneous where it's like, you know, where I had like gotten in trouble at school and then it's like, we have time to process things and it's like, Hey, wait till your father gets home. Well, that's like the most miserable four hours of your life. Right. Cause you're just waiting to be punished. And, but on the flip side of that, that gave me time to prepare. So I would go upstairs and I would put on multiple pants. I'd find the biggest thickest pair of jeans I had and then I would put on sweatpants underneath (laughs) that (laughs) and just layer as many pants as I could sometimes they didn't know I did that but other times they caught me and they made me strip off the the extra layers (laughs) Uh, more demoralizing my goodness (laughs) but yeah that's all my uh (laughs) no I have another story sorry oh gosh I'm interviewing you, but these these are gold. Okay, so for a couple of years, like in first grade or so, you remember Cedar Park Christian School? Yeah. That's where I went for the first couple of years of elementary school. And similar to, you know, kind of like Catholic schools, they're, they're kind of strict and they discipline you um, and they kind of reprimand you. And so they um, they did spank at the school, but it wasn't like, you know, the the stereotypical Catholic teacher that cracks you on the hand with a ruler type spanking. So I had done something bad. I don't remember what it was, um, but I got called to the principal's office and they called my dad in and then they told him what was going on. Right. And then they're like, OK, well, to teach him a lesson to discipline, we're going to spank them, which is obvious. I think they had to OK it by the parents or whatnot. And so I remember before doing it, like they prayed for me right like to discipline or something and then uh and then he's like okay time for your spanking and then as a kid you're just like the anticipation is really worse than the actual discipline and I'll never forget he takes out a ping pong paddle and and then he's like okay uh like I don't like somehow like kneel or bend over or something but he was like spanking my behind and then he takes it and then he goes like this he goes so like he just kind of like taps me more or less three times on my butt and then i and then i was like that's it thinking to myself and i'm like you gotta be kidding me that was nothing and then so to like kind of sell the act of of thinking that or knowing that I got off the hook so easy, I just fake cried. <laughs> thinking like, dude, you should see what they do to me at home. Oh my gosh, that was nothing. <laughs> wow, you, you fake cried. <laughs> I had to sell it. <laughs> but I mean, the the anticipation alone, I think, was my discipline and consequence. So I think it did its job. 
Oh, man. You know, one of our kids in our youth group still goes to Cedar Park. I wonder if... Oof. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them if they still have this disciplinary system. I want to go out on a limb and say, given that it's 2020 in the current climate that we're in, that is a, it's a, probably a negative. <laughs> oh, man. Do you feel like growing up in a Christian school had any bearing on who you are right now? Unfortunately, no, because I left uh, the Christian school in like fifth grade. And so... I don't know about you, but really, in my experience, the formative years kick off in middle school, I would, I would think. Yeah, looking back on it, let's say, had I either stuck it through or started in the, at middle school and high school, I think it would have had a more formative or a more significant impact. Because those are your awkward years anyway, you know? Yeah. Like, those are the super awkward years where it's just hard to be a human and figure anything out. So I think you're a little bit... The impact that happens at that age, I think, probably lasts a little bit more. Not to say you can't get traumatized in your elementary years, but I think the uh, the curve sh- shoots up for sure. So, yeah. Um, what about any stories where you feel like we dodged a bullet? Because I think we have a couple of them. I have one. Stories where we dodged a bullet. Um, you mean where we should have gotten in trouble or should we, where we really should have faced bigger consequences? There's that or here, let me, let me tell a story while you kind of rack your brain. It was, I think either yours or my birthday and we went paintballing and we had been paintballing for a little bit in high school. That was like our new thing, right? We started off snowboarding and then our new hobby was paintballing and this is why I will take guns or anything that fires something or and fireworks seriously because it's always those injuries are always the ones where it's like no it was fine or I wasn't expecting it or no 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 and so like they say never point a gun or some object at someone right even if you think it's like clear or one that's why I get on edge but um it was we were in Monroe at Splatum or Splat Attack or, or Splatum or, or something like that. It something was a, like that. And um, we were joking around. And so if people don't know, for paintballing, you have these things called on the end of them called like barrel condoms or barrel stops. Pretty much it plugs the end of the gun barrel so that if you do accidentally shoot it off while it's loaded, it has a, a catch device there. Um, and so for some reason, you know, we had like taken the like the guns apart or something and i was like oh yeah trying to i was gonna like scare you by dry firing it meaning like shooting the gun with nothing loaded in there and i remember i when i went to do that i went to shoot one like right by i was planning to like buzz your ear just to get the noise and i saw one come out and it hit like the back netting right next to you and i was just like I don't think anybody saw that I shot one and I just like played it off, but I was just froze thinking, oh my gosh, I could have actually just shot you from like three feet away in the eye. And so, yeah, I don't know that like, I'm sure we all have those types of scenarios where you just get that flash in front of you and you think like, 
at whatever age you are in life, you're like, man, how did we escape? That's that's literally, dang, another bullet I dodged. Holy cow. So that's one that sticks out in my mind. You know, that's a lesson learned the hard way, but ugh. Wow. You, you know, I never actually knew about that until we had lunch together that one oh, day yeah. during the week before you moved right. to Hawaii. Yeah, because that's one of those things where it's it's a bad thing where, one, I can't do anything about it, and two, I just don't like thinking through the scenarios of, like, the what if. So that that's, yeah, that's one of those definitives where, like, like that's a learned lesson for me, like, really not to mess around with that. Like, you know, for example, like, if I have a kid, like, I'm probably going to be a little bit stricter than the other parents you know where the kids probably going to be like dude why does your dad like take this so serious why isn't he let up and yeah that's like i don't know probably going to be a dad moment (laughs) you're going to tell your kid that's why uncle brooks doesn't have a right eye (laughs) right (laughs) one day they're going to meet and they'll be like dad he totally has yeah but i said he could have not had (laughs) the extra eye (laughs) oh man yeah, you bring up fireworks. We did a lot of stupid stuff with fireworks. Oy, yeah. I could have lost my finger from one. You remember Black Cats? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you remember Navy Seals? Yes. <laughs> Black Cats, you, it'd be great for demolition purposes, but they they get wet really easily, and, or you get a lot of duds if you unstring them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the black hats are all, like, tied in a big bunch, you know, like a bunch of bananas. And so when you light it, it just goes really fast. But the fuse is quick and short. And the Navy SEALs were, like, these waterproof fuses where it had, like, a longer countdown time and they would explode underwater. I remember one time I took apart black hats, not thinking that the fuse was different than a Navy SEAL firecracker. And when I... So I lit it, and when I went to do, like, the recoil motion, like, to throw a football, to bring it, bring it up to my ear and, like, release it, it exploded right next to my ear. And, like, my fingers were achy and sore, and my ears were, like, uh, ringing for a day. But I just – I also – that's my second story where I think of – yeah, that's how, you know, Uncle Daniel doesn't have four fingers or five <laughs> fingers anymore, and, and he doesn't have a right ear. Like, I would have been one of those guys – so, you know, you always think, like, mm-hmm. what kind of idiot gets hurt with fireworks, right? You just light it and you run away. But it's stupid stuff like that. Has your, has your toilet Navy SEAL story come up yet in a podcast? It has not. And I don't know if I should let you or David tell the story. Because David was there, but I I don't know. Um, Could be a story. What's that? That should be a David story because I remember him always telling me, I told Daniel not to do it. (laughs) Okay, fine. Yeah, we'll save it for, we'll we'll let David have his glory on that one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But I'll say that at that time, that was summertime in our youth group at the time that we were going to go to a Mariners game. And you literally said you couldn't go because you couldn't buy a ticket because you had to buy a new toilet. (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah that's a teaser we'll have to get david on next <laughs> okay um 
Do you have any other stories? If not, we can transition to kind of the last three um, topics or content areas that I have. I don't have a life-changing moment where one of one of our lives flashed before my eyes. I was I would when you brought up you know things where we should have avoided where we somehow avoided consequences was like all those times we used to throw rocks. Oh uh, yes, like we would actually like damage property and like if even you know, if some kid threw a rock and hit my car, I'd be so pissed these days. But we never actually got in serious trouble for that. Oof, that we know of. Oof, I was thinking about that just the other day when I was brainstorming uh, stuff between us for this podcast. And yeah, the theme is just I was a total hoodlum growing up. And I'm going to blame it on just that's nature. That's not nurture. Like nobody told me to be a hoodlum, but like <laughs> I was always the instigator. And so I, so how our old church, it just no longer exists. It's in, It was in Seattle. Um, and it was on the top of this hill and the side of it was like lined with rocks and for whatever brilliant reason well it's not brilliant it's just dumb it's just kids getting into trouble that were unsupervised we decided to just throw rocks off the side of this hill not knowing that there were cars parked underneath across the street and so yeah i didn't one time like or i heard they came and complained that like we hit their car and stuff right which yeah. yeah, I would just be I would be furious. Like if somebody hit my car right now, I don't know what happened with that. I'm just gonna assume that our parents paid for the damages. Let's yeah. I'm gonna assume the better, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, I remember there was one lady who lived in one of the houses down below and our assistant pastor at the time, like this lady was like came up, she walked up the hill to our church. This was like after service. And she was talking to our assistant pastor. And we were just like standing a few feet away. And she was like, I saw that. I've been watching them with my binoculars. I saw them throw rocks in our poor assistant pastor. He's like, I'll talk to them. We'll make sure it never happens again. I I felt so bad for him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those regret moments for sure. Okay, well, let's transition into a little bit more actionable content. And the next segment, this first one I'm going to say is cool finds. Give me something, one or more than one, uh, thing you've come across recently that is new to you. It doesn't have to be like brand new that came out, but something that you bought, something that you read, something that you saw, anything like that. Hmm. Let's see. Lately, we started watching this wonderful show called Patriot Act on Netflix. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with... um, Is that with Hasan Minhaj? Yes. I think I saw the first season of that. It's really good. Every episode, what what the show does is it, like, picks apart the the flaws or the brokenness in different systems. So one one episode was on, you know, the cruise line or the cruise industry. And after you watch it, you'll never want to go on a cruise again. Uh, um, like another another episode's on, on fast fashion companies like H&M and Zara and stuff. And you realize, well, all this, this clothes that I'm wearing costs so much for this world. And so 
If you want, interesting. Yeah, if you want to get woke, check that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think didn't they do one on like Supreme? I think I learned about yeah. Supreme via yeah. Dude. I don't own anything by them, but now I understand why yeah. it is the way it is. Cool. Yeah. Okay. On to the next one. Life hack, or you can read it as a pro tip. Tell me something you do that you feel like makes you win at life or is more efficient or makes your life better that other people may not know about. You're always the one with the life hacks. This is this is stupid, and no, I don't think anyone will actually do it, but like one of my biggest pet peeves in life is soggy or stale cereal this is again this is really dumb but it might change your life when you one of the worst things when you get to the end of your box of cereal is when you find the leftover pieces of cereal that you could have enjoyed at the bottom of the box and so you pour the rest of that into your cereal and then when you hit those bites it's it's stale because it's been sitting in you know the box rather than the bag so when you go to pour your cereal pull the bag out slightly so that it hangs past the lip of the cardboard box and then pour it. And then you'll never end up with leftover stragglers at the bottom of the box. Hey, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, yeah that's a win. There you go. Easy. Never, never deal with stale cereal. <laughs> okay. And then on the opposite of that is a life fail then. Um, tell me something that you've seen or heard recently that was just terrible in your opinion hmm. for example uh, i don't know if i mentioned this in a different podcast but i'll give you an example of one to kind of jog your, your brain is i was at home depot the other week and just getting a new key cut and you know the big thing right now is masks everybody's wearing a mask not everybody is wearing it right and this should be like a meme page in and of itself, but I thought I'd seen it all, right? 90% of the time when people are wearing it incorrectly, what do they do? They pull it down, right? So they can breathe through their nose or, or things like that. Or, or they could, you know, they take it off completely to talk to the person and then they put it back on, which <laughs> totally defeats the purpose of it. Right. So this person full on wore the surgical mask, you know, around the ears, around the face, how, how it is normally. But instead of pulling it from the nose down to the upper lip so he could breathe out of the nose, he did it opposite. <laughs> he lifted the bottom all the way up so it was just a thin strip covering his nostrils. So he had like maybe two inches of coverage and then his entire mouth was gaping and he was breathing and talking as he was walking around. Oh, man. <laughs> At that point, why bother, right? That's a life fail to me. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. Um, maybe this isn't an act actually a life fit. I don't know but right around the time this quarantine hit like a lot of our you know a lot of our friends at church and like kids in our youth group and stuff they're like oh man it's such a bummer I can't you know we can't meet we can't see our friends um, and one day one of our, our kids they, they sent me this picture of them with all their friends and all their family in this room and they're like Hey, we're having Bible study. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's great. But why are you guys all in the same room? Because you all live with people who are at risk. And I couldn't be mad at them. <laughs> I couldn't condone it at the same time. And it was just like one of those uh, kids moments. 
This is a face palm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll take that. That works. <laughs> Kids, keep your social distancing serious. I know. Yeah, well, I don't that, know what it's yeah. like in Hawaii, but like now that summer has hit Seattle, summer is like this unstoppable force, like pulling people outside into parks and close proximity with each other. Yeah, I it's hit or miss. Like I see, um, we were at the beach yesterday, and there were definitely a lot of people too close and um, too big of groups. But we haven't actually opened up to tourists yet and so uh inner island flights are going to be allowed starting tomorrow i think june 16th but um i think that's without quarantine i don't know but like yeah if you come from the mainland you have to quarantine for two weeks even if you're a resident here so um yeah we haven't like released that quarantine status yet well uh that brings us pretty much to our one hour mark unless we have anything else to talk about, but is there anything you want to plug? This is your, um, this is your minute to shine. If you want to plug anything about yourself or an organization or have, have your way with it. Hmm. Nothing to plug except this podcast. I was pretty random that you're doing this. Well, so is coronavirus. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Fair enough. Well, I mean, you used to, I figured you would have given some of your uh, your previous organizations you were working with, no? Not so much, not so much these. Oh, yeah, it's I'm, on hiatus, huh? It's on hiatus right now. Okay, fair. Wow. Well, uh, I, I think we'll sign off with that, and then if we need a sequel, or if we want to rope uh, the other amigo in, which is David, then uh, maybe they'll hear your voice again soon. Sounds good, buddy. Okay. Thanks for taking the time. It was nice chatting with you, Brooks. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Today's episode brought to you by Every Online Recipe Blog. Without you, I wouldn't have to scroll through a dissertation about your recent kitchen endeavors and creations prior to actually getting to the recipe. Also, Every page has your profile picture on the right, your penchant for world travel, and a short biography about your family. Usually ending in a quote that says, live, laugh, love. Don't forget your Pinterest link at the top and the ever so important jump to recipe link. Without that link, I'd be hitting back.